Matthew tells us that when Jesus came, the first work was to preach repentance. And so everywhere he went, he talked about the kingdom of God is coming, and then the kingdom of God is among you. 
and always he spoke about repentance. It was the heart of Jesus that repentance should be proclaimed. Why? Because repentance is the road into the heart of Jesus. You cannot enter the heart of Jesus without repenting. That is, turning away from the actions that are wicked and turning toward righteousness, innocence. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that there is a total transformation that takes place in the heart of a man or a woman. The old dies and the new is given, and it is always given by Jesus. But this is never done without the permission of that person. So Jesus came preaching, you must repent. Now, there are some teachers today who come and say, you cannot repent until you're saved. The scriptures teach just the opposite. The scriptures teach that you cannot be saved until you repent, until you leave your life of sin. And always it is Jesus' invitation. Remember Adam and Eve when they sinned and God came searching for them. He found them in the bushes hiding, ashamed, naked, except for some fig leaves they tried to cover themselves with. Always it's the same story. We try to cover ourselves, but we can't. Our nakedness is exposed. And in today's culture, there's no longer any shame. They sin boldly, like wild animals. Wild animals behave better than many human beings today. There's a desperate need for full, all-out repentance. Now, this brings me to Luke, the 13th chapter. Jesus was teaching in a synagogue, and he began to speak to them a parable about a fig tree. The fig tree had not borne any fruit for three years. It was barren of fruit. It had leaves. It was standing solidly in the garden. But there was no productivity. And so in this parable, the master says to the gardener, Look, three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. So cut it down. It's just using up the soil. It's using up the space. We we can put something better there. So just cut the tree down. Let's get rid of it. But the gardener says, Oh, sir, no. Give me one more year. Let me Let me dig around it. Let me fertilize it. 
And then after that, if it does not produce any fruit, then cut it down. I would wonder today if some of you are feeling like you cannot bear any fruit of righteousness. Some of you perhaps today are extremely discouraged with your Christian walk. You've tried your best. You just haven't been able to do it. You don't see yourself bearing any fruit of righteousness or goodness. You just feel utterly condemned before God, hopeless, about ready to give up the fight and just say, oh, it doesn't matter. Whatever is, is. I'm just going to go about taking care of my family. And then this word comes, if you're not going to bear any fruit, just get cut down. That's terrifying. Always my prayer has been, Lord, may I bear fruit for your kingdom. May I bear the fruit of love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering. But may I also bear the fruit of men and women coming to know you, Jesus, and having their lives transformed and changed It's possible to go through your entire life and be on auto drive, just doing your job, depressed, discouraged, have a few laughs once in a while, look for food, look for the housing, look for a little pleasure where you can grab it. But deep down in your soul, You feel fruitless. You're afraid anyone will find out. In fact, you sometimes wonder why you haven't been found out because you're not doing anything worthwhile. You're just doing your job. (laughs) It's in this context, as he's teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath day, that as he's preaching, he looks out in the congregation and he sees a woman there. And this woman is under a severe infirmity, a sickness. She's been over at the waist. She can't stand straight. She's crippled. Sometimes I've seen people like this about town, at the shopping mall. They're looking up. They can look up with their head and crane their neck and see, but they walk bowed over. A miserable condition to live with. He beholds this woman, and he knows because the Holy Spirit tells him that she's been like this for 18 years not able to stand up. Now, let me read for you 
the exact words that Jesus uses. She was bent over. She was being bent over and not able to stand up completely. But Jesus, having seen her, called out and said to her, Woman, you have been released from your infirmity. And he laid hands on her. And immediately she was made straight and was glorifying God. What happened? Jesus sees this woman with this infirmity. She's not able to stand up completely. She's always bowed over, struggling. Never can just stand up straight and tall. An infirmity. Now, the ruler of the synagogue was not happy. He was angry. He was angry that Jesus had healed on their Sabbath day. And he said to the multitude, There are six days in which one ought to work, but you must be healed coming on one of these and not on the Sabbath day. Everyone is reprimanded. But Jesus, not being willing to take that reprimand, speaks up. He says, Hypocrite, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall, and after having led it away, it drinks? In fact, this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound eighteen years in this case, was it not necessary to set her free from this bondage on the day of the Sabbath? And he saying these things, all the ones opposing him were put to shame, but all the multitude was rejoicing over all the wonderful things being done by him. Now, please, I want you to get this. There are those in your life or in your mind that do not want you to be completely healed. They have an investment in you being an invalid, in feeling bad. And perhaps you've even joined in with others and saying, I should not do this. I should not be healed. I don't deserve to be healed. I don't deserve to be loved by God. I'm not a good person. I don't deserve this favor. I don't deserve this recognition. I deserve to be imprisoned and miserable and hopeless. I deserve to be cut down. I do not deserve to stand in the garden and bear the fruit of God. I'm a, I'm a poor excuse for a human being. I'm not very smart. 
I don't understand things. I've done all I can and I can't win. Every time I try, I get knocked down. It's hopeless. I'm hopeless. I'm ready to give up. If that's where you are today, I want you to hear that this woman was not able to stand up completely. And this word completely is used again in the scriptures. In Hebrews, Hebrews, the seventh chapter, it says, (coughs) pardon me, but because he, referring to Jesus as the high priest, he continues forever. He has an unchangeable priesthood. For which reason, he is able to save completely. He is able to save completely. It's the same phrase used in the Greek in the story of the woman who was bowed over. This this story that Luke tells of this woman having the spirit of infirmity for 18 years, being bent over, not being able to stand up completely. She was released. She was made straight. And she was healed. Able to stand up completely. So whether we're healed of a disease or we're saved from sin. The work that Jesus does in us is complete. Since God has exalted Jesus to be the great high priest and savior, I would not dare to tamper with the transcendent Christ. The power of his blood completely takes away all sin. What if Jesus had said to this woman, Woman, I forgive your sins, but I'm sorry you're going to have to live with this condition the rest of your life, bowed over, because I don't have the power to heal you and cause you to be completely healed and stand up straight. I don't have that power. I'm not able to do that for you. What would you think? You'd say, impossible. Jesus has the power to forgive sins, like the man who was let through the roof and was lowered before Jesus. And he said to the man with the palsy, your sin is forgiven, my son my child. And then the Pharisees are, the scribes are saying, whoa, 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 wait, how can this man say sin is forgiven? Impossible. And Jesus says to them, is it easier to say your sin is forgiven or to say, rise, stand up and walk? 
So he did both to show that he has the power to totally remove sin from our lives and he has the power to totally heal our bodies. This woman gives me great courage because the power of the blood of Jesus saves us completely. causes us to stand upright, removes from us the stain of sin, and removes from us sin. For such a high priest was indeed right for us, holy, blameless, undefiled, having always been separate from sinners, having become higher than the heavens, who has no day-by-day need as the high priest first in behalf of his own sins to offer up sacrifices and then for the sins of the people. Now this he did once and for all, having offered up himself, for the law appoints men as high priests having weaknesses, but the word of the oath after the law appoints a son who stands perfect forever. Now, this is the main point. We have such a high priest. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister of the holy things and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. Do you understand? You are in Jesus Christ, made to stand up straight and tall, completely healed of your sin. This is what the new covenant is about. Let me read this for you. Hebrews, the eighth chapter. You pay attention. Days are coming, says the Lord. In fact, I will establish with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah a new covenant. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day of my having taken their hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I disregarded them. Literally, he divorced them. He married them by covenant, and then he divorced them, says the Lord. Because this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, putting my laws into their mind and upon their hearts. I will write them, and I will be to them a God, and they will be to me a people. And they may by no means each teach his fellow countrymen and each his brother and saying, Know you the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them, because I will be merciful to their iniquities and their sins and their lawlessness by no means. May I yet remember by saying a new covenant, 
he has declared the first obsolete. Now the things being made obsolete and growing old, they are disappearing. Now I want you to catch this. It's wonderful news that the new covenant, God will come and he will write in your heart his laws so that when you're doing what you want to do, you will be doing the will of God because it's written in your heart. It's not external pressure. It's internal moving of the power of God. Salvation is not dependent upon my forcing myself to obey God. The gospel is that I'll be made into a new creature, a new person. Now, the problem comes in this when I want to hang on to the old. And I want to earn my way. That's called legalism. There are many today who are saying you can't leave your sin. You can't be made into a totally new creature. Because they still walk in a legalistic, Gnostic gospel. The gospel of Jesus is that you can be made clean and new. You don't have to walk under condemnation. Jesus loves you. Now, question. Do you feel like Jesus loves you? Now, that question is important only so that you can identify your feelings. But I want to be plain with you. Right up front. This is not a game of feeling. I like to put it this way. You have a train. Pulling the train in the front, you have these big diesel engines. And then you have the freight cars. And then it used to be with the old steamers, and even for a long time with the diesel pulls, you had what was called a caboose. Now, the caboose was the comfort center. When you had long runs on the train, there was always a cot in the caboose for men to take time to rest. That's where the food was kept. And that's where, in the old time, they had a pot-belly stove. So there was a place where you could go and rest, where you could go and eat, a place where you could get warm. It was the comfort station. Well, I like to say that the caboose is our feelings. The caboose never pulls the train. We don't operate our lives by, by the caboose. <clears throat> We're grateful for feelings. 
feelings aren't right or wrong. They just simply are. Feelings are what they are. But we don't make moral decisions based on what we feel. We make decisions on what we know, on the guiding principles of Scripture. Read carefully Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Faith is what we go by. We get the rhema word of God, the God-breathed word that Jesus is willing to forgive us for our sin. We repent. And now we must stand by faith that the work of God has been done in our hearts. He says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's an incredible rhema word straight from the heart of God. So I have a right. Yea, I have an obligation to come to God and say, this is how I feel. But I know I can't trust my feelings. I know my feelings will lie to me. Your word says that you loved all of us and that if I believe on you, I will not perish but have everlasting life. I know that if I come to you and I take a stand on your promise, even when I don't feel like it, I know you love me because the Bible tells me so. The Bible tells me that God loves me. By faith, I receive the gift of God's love. Now, I'm not going to pay attention to the feelings because as the train moves out on the track of life, standing on solid ground on the promises of God, that caboose is going to have to come along. And the feelings are going to have to change and reflect the reality of my faith stand with Jesus Christ. And as I stand on that faith, the caboose has to follow. The feelings will follow where you go. They'll change but they don't pull the train. What pulls the train is my absolute confidence in the word of the living God. That's what pulls my train. Those big diesel engines based on the faith and the promises of God. His promise is that I can be healed completely that I can be released from sin completely. 
And then comes this very stern warning. Now, willfully continuing to sin after we've received a clear knowledge of the truth, a sacrifice no longer remains concerning sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment, even the fury of fire being on the point to consume the adversaries. Anyone having rejected the law of Moses dies without mercy upon the word of two or three witnesses. But how much worse punishment do you think he will be considered worthy of? The one having trampled the Son of God underfoot, in fact, having regarded the blood of the covenant by which he was made holy, a common thing, even having exalted or insulted the spirit of grace. Now we understand the one having said, Vengeance belongs to me, and I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is, a, it is fearful to fall into the hands of a living God. Well, I don't want to fall into the hands of the living God. I want to be joined in his heart. But that means I must be willing to lay my life down for Jesus Christ. I must be willing to accept his love and his forgiveness. And I must be willing to allow him to remove all sin from my heart. Now, often when we get to this point in this discussion, people will say to me, well, pastor, I've tried and I just can't do it. You're right. You can't do it. This is a supernatural work of God's grace in your heart. You must ask Jesus to do it. And you must stand by faith that it is done. And you must not go back and rebuild what the Holy Spirit will come and destroy in your heart. The anger, the bitterness. Oh, but there's a problem. As one person said to me, I have the right to be angry. I've been wronged. Yes, that's true. That person had been wronged. They'd been hurt. They had a right to be angry. But for how long? How long do they want to be angry? I know one precious person. When a father died, they became very angry with God. They rejected the love of God and the purpose of God in their life. And today they're frozen. They're frozen in a lifestyle of hardness of heart toward God. 
and frankly, I'm, I'm very concerned today that some of you listening to this broadcast have hardened your heart against God. You're angry with him. Why didn't God stop this? Why did God allow this to happen in my life? Why? 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 God usually doesn't answer why questions. But I have to ask you, are you frozen in a time capsule? I've told you this parable before, but let me, let me tell you one more time. It was a parable that set me free. His name was Jaime. He was suddenly arrested and hauled off to jail. And as they were carrying him to jail, he protested loudly. He said, I am innocent. I have done nothing wrong. Why are you doing this to me? This is not fair. It's not right. I don't deserve to be put in jail. They threw him in a jail cell in isolation. And day after day, they would come and slide a tray of food through the slot at the bottom of the door. And Jaime would pound on the door and scream at the guard, saying, I'm innocent. I'm innocent. Let me out. I've done nothing wrong. Why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to me? I'm innocent. I was wronged. And after a long, long time, One day he's laying on his bunk in that isolation cell. And he looks up high at a small window in his cell. And he sees a green tree branch. He sees the leaves. And suddenly it dawns on him. that as he lay in his jail cell, protesting his innocence, alone, miserable, life is going on without him. Life is passing him by. The seasons are changing. And suddenly overwhelmed, Overwhelmed to the point of tears. Very softly he whispered, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. The jailer came at the normal time and slid the food tray through the door slot. Jaime rushed to the door and he said to the jailer, I'm guilty, sir. I'm guilty. The jailer walked on 
Jaime went back to his bunk. Total despair. I'm guilty. Then he noticed that the door seemed strange. He walked to the door and he pressed on it. It swung open. He looked in the hallway. There was no one there. But down at the other end of the hallway, there was a door. He walked down to that door and he pressed on it. And the door opened. And that day, Jaime walked out of prison into the beautiful spring sunshine with the fresh new green leaves and the birds singing, making his way home. Yes, a parable, but what's it mean? If you're frozen today in your resentment against your husband, or your wife, if you're frozen today in your despair, in your discouragement, if you're frozen today in isolation, thinking no one really cares, and your condition is hopeless, and you're in jail, I want to tell you the good news of the gospel. That as soon as it dawns on you that you are guilty. Not someone else. You. Guilty of pride. Guilty of bitterness. Guilty of anger. Guilty. As soon as you go to Jesus and you admit your guilt and you repent for your wickedness, you will walk out of that jail cell and you will no longer be frozen and hopeless. For Jesus will come in and he will cast the infirmity off of you. And he will save you, stand up straight and tall. And he will remove all sin from your life. He will heal you. But you can remain in your jail cell as long as you choose to remain and protest your innocence. I can't do that. Jesus calls us to repent. Jesus calls us out of our jail cell, out of our bitterness, out of our anger, out of our resentment, out of playing victim. And he says, my son, my daughter, let me write my laws in your heart. Let me give you a new life. And you will walk out into the springtime of my love.
Now, we're almost out of time today. But we do have time for one quick call if there's someone who would like to call who knows you're in jail and would like to be prayed for, who's trapped by your resentment, your anger, you'd like to forgive. Call 877-534-0780. Call quickly. I'll pray with you and ask Jesus to set you free. 877-534-0780. Now, while we wait for a call, come visit the National Prayer Chapel if you want to grow rapidly in Jesus Christ. You need a change. You want an infusion of new life into your heart. Come visit the National Prayer Chapel. We rent the All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. It's located at 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22192. It's not a pretentious place. It's a very humble place. We are quite informal. We are by the call of God, men and women of the fellowship of the blood of Jesus Christ. Drive around to the back side of the parking lot at the All Saints Anglican Church, and you'll see a lower lobby sign. Come in those double glass doors, ground level, and you'll find the National Prayer Chapel Worship Center immediately on your left. I'd love to meet you. I'd love to hear what Jesus has done in your life and in your heart. So come visit the All Saints Anglican Church, 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22192. I want to thank each of you who has been so faithful in contributing for the work of this gospel ministry. It's always been my belief that the work of God should be supported with free will tithes and offerings, not by selling things, not by begging. I've always seen that when God's people know what the need is, they'll meet it because you treasure the word of God. Thank you. And thank each one of you who has who has given and continues to give. Write to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Mr. Producer, are there any calls coming in? Okay. I know that one day, There will be an awakening, and men and women will have the courage to call and flood the lines as you want to get healing with Jesus. But until that day, I'm going to continue to preach, even though I can't see you. 
and call you to repentance and call you to be healed completely, mind, body, and soul, to walk before God with no known sin in your heart, to walk clean by the power of the blood of Jesus. That's what this is about. Preparing for heaven, being dressed in the clean white linen supplied to us by Jesus. He's looking for a bride without spot or wrinkle. Are you that way today? You can be by his precious blood. Almighty God, there must be a change in Washington, D.C. There must be a change calling men and women out of the Laodicea lukewarm condition out of the hopelessness, out of the despair, out of the love of the world and the things of the flesh and of the devil. There must be a change in our nation's capital, Jesus. And I'm asking, will you bring that change quickly? Will you remove from our hearts the love of worldly entertainment and love of darkness and love of proclaiming our innocence. Lord, would you come and give to us humble hearts that will be broken before you, causing us to weep over our sin, causing us to admit the true condition of our hearts. Lord, I speak with your people, and many have such hurt, angry, bitter hearts such hopeless hearts. Lord, would you come and meet them today? Would you minister to the heart of every person listening your grace and your mercy and your blood? Lord, would you lift them up and cause them to stand straight and tall, completely healed, Completely healed, Jesus. I ask these things, Jesus, in your mighty name. And I thank you and praise you and worship you. For you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is none like unto you, Jesus. Thank you for your word today and thank you for your kindness. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord.